0: Well, um, good, morning. Yeah. Good, morning. good morning. How are we today on this Memorial Day Sunday? <laughs> but you got tomorrow off, yeah? yeah. <laughs> Extra day to enjoy. I told Derek I will preach this weekend, but only because I get Monday off. So normally, if I preach on Sunday, I don't get Monday off. Like Derek gets his day off. So, uh, so it's a good week for Dan, um, which is my name, by the way. If I haven't had an opportunity to meet you. <laughs> My name is Dan. I'm one of the elders here at Ocean City Church. I'm just excited to be with you this morning as we start a new series in the book of James. Um, And I'm excited to be studying this book because James tackles difficult issues. If you know anything about James, you know James is very direct and to the point when it comes to talking about life's issues. Um, Issues that we all face because the reality is, is that we're fallen people We live in a fallen world, but the message of James is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus is so expansive and so sturdy and that the person and work of Jesus Christ is so powerful that we don't need to avoid asking the hard questions of life, and as we begin this morning, I'm going to operate under the assumption that uh, everyone in the room, including myself, has at some point struggled with their faith in some way. So think of it this way. So Derek talked about acclimate this morning after the service. And one of the things we do in acclimate is we have a question and answer um, afterwards for um, people who are new to the church. And um, if you think about acclimate this morning, if Jesus was part of the Q and a panel, what would be the question that you would ask Jesus in acclimate this morning? You know, uh, Gerald alluded to the fact that a lot of people in our church family just seem to be going through various trials right now, hard things in life, struggles, sickness. Um, so maybe you would ask God, why does it always seem like there is so much difficulty in my life at every turn? Maybe you've a hard time controlling your words. Maybe just things come out of your mouth towards people that you're like, I'm not sure where that came from, but I don't like it. Or maybe they don't like it and you don't care. Um, Maybe today you know that God is sovereign, but you struggle between what's your responsibility and your growth as a Christian and what you can entrust to God. Maybe there are moments where you feel insignificant or forgotten by God. You wonder if your prayers ever even make a difference. i felt that before. But the cool thing is, is that these are the questions, the exact questions that James looks at in the five chapters of James that we're going to be Looking over, over. And the great thing about James is it's 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 not an amazing exposition of the theology of the gospel. That's really like when we walked through Romans. That's what we talk about in Romans. But I love how Paul Tripp puts it. Um, He says that James is a Christianity at street level. Street level Christianity. It's what we would call a, a book of wisdom literature, where we take the principles of God and we see how they apply practically into our lives as believers. And it's dense too. So it's best uh, administered a teaspoon at a time as opposed to a chapter at a time. So today we're only going to be looking at the first four um, verses in the book of James, uh, but it's going to be a lot to unpack this morning. So the majority of our time is going to be spent talking about trials, this idea of trials, and something that, again, we probably all can relate to here in the room. So let's start out. James chapter 1, verse 1. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. How awesome is that? He <laughs> just said hello. And usually we don't spend a lot of time on the greeting, but I think it's important that as we start out in James that we understand a little bit about who the author is here. The author is James, if you haven't guessed that yet. There are several Jameses that are mentioned in the New Testament. We know James, the son of Zebedee, who was one of the um, 12 disciples. Um, his, his death is accounted in Acts. Um, but this James is most certainly James, the brother of Of Jesus, the brother of Jesus. So what's interesting is is that James has a sibling perspective about Jesus. And I was thinking about, you know, whenever tell-all books are written about celebrities and it's their siblings that wrote one of the book, they're usually not a good thing for the celebrity, right? Because siblings write tell-all books. Um, For those of you that are siblings in the room, you know that your little brother has all of the dirt on you, which is why you constantly have to threaten him, just short of losing his life, if he ever tells mom and dad the things that he knows about you. Right? Our little brothers see our indifference. They see when we mess up. They know everything about us. Good news this morning is I'm an only child, so there will no be, be no tell-all books about me but my kids would definitely have a few stories that they could share with you uh, about how dad can really be at times. And so when we think about James, the little brother of Jesus, he shared a bathroom with him. He's still in there? Hey, can I get in there? He probably slept in a bunk bed that he made. The point being here, James, James knew Jesus in a way unlike a lot of other people did. And what's interesting is early on in Jesus's ministry, we see in John uh, chapter seven, verse five, it says, for even his own brothers did not believe him. They were cynics. They they mocked him. I mean, siblings, you can imagine if your older brother all of a sudden says, he's the Messiah, what are you gonna think? (laughs) Not this guy, I know him. It's no wonder that Jesus says in Mark 6, 6, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. Right? We've said this, parents. And something interesting happens. James has a transformational encounter with Jesus along the way. And it changes him forever. So 1 Corinthians 15, 6 through 7, Paul Uh, gives this account. He says, after that, he appeared to more than 500. This is after Jesus's resurrection. He typically appeared to groups. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are, are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. But he went, the person that he saw individually was James. He went to James and saw him, the resurrected Jesus. And you know that it must have changed James forever as he has this encounter with Christ. And that's really where we have to start today is understanding if we don't have a transformational encounter with the resurrected Jesus, then none of what we talk about in James matters. We have to have a transformational encounter with the living Christ. We know from Acts that James was one of the pillars of the early church, so you have Paul you have Peter, you have John, and you have James. So those four guys, we talk about Paul and Peter and John all the time, but we, we typically don't talk about James. Well, James was elected to be over the council of Jerusalem, which included those four guys. So those three guys voted James to be the captain of their team, which is pretty amazing. We learn from historians and books outside of the Bible and. Um, 62 AD, James was taken to the temple by the enemies of the gospel, where he was told to te- they, too many people were coming to Christ, and they told him, tell the people not to come to Christ. We're told that he looked out. These are the exact words that he said that are accounted for in history. He says, why do you ask me about the Son of Man? He dwells in heaven at the right hand of the Father and will come again in clouds of heaven. At that point, he's thrown off of the roof of the temple, but he doesn't die. And the mob comes to him, and they beat him to death with a bat, martyred for the faith. As he's being beaten, he crawls to his knees, and he begins to pray to God to forgive the people that are beating him. And now he's going to talk to us about joy in the midst of trial. Now, obviously, this was before his death that he wrote this, but you have to believe that God was preparing James for this and that he lived up to the things that he talked about to the very end. No one goes from being a cynic to a martyr without a transformational encounter with the living God. And so here he is writing this wonderful pastoral letter to Christians, He says, these are Jewish Christians who've been dispersed because of of persecution, suffering people. And James is concerned that the effect, how how this suffering is affecting their walk with God. And so that's why he addresses these issues. Let's go keep moving on. James 1, uh, starting in verse 2 now, after he said hello, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Notice the words here. The words here throughout these verses that we're going to talk about today are important. He doesn't say if you're going to face trials. He said whenever you face trials. When you face trials. Not an if, not a but when. And so there is no escape clause here. That's our first point this morning, is that trials are inevitable. We have to know this. We have to be prepared for not if trials come, but when trials come. And for whatever reason, God has decided that after we come to Christ, we're not all of a sudden just whisked away to heaven in glory. He has decided that part of, of our experience on earth would be that we go through trials and the reality is and I think sometimes we buy into this idea that Christian you know after you become a Christian you don't suffer maybe like you did before you don't have to go through things like you did before the reality is is that a Christian can suffer anything that any other human being could suffer It's a universal experience of every believer. It's a universal experience of every person on earth is that trials, suffering, pain is a reality of what life on earth is like. And I'm sure that you, you understand that today. I'm sure there's not a person here that hasn't been through something or is going through something right now. And I love how James says trials of many kinds. And uh, your translation may look a little bit different, may say various kinds. But if you look at the Greek word, this Greek word for various, the the word is literally translated many colors. So we say various kinds. He's addressing them specifically going through religious persecution. But he's saying, hey, look, whenever you face trials of various kinds, many different colors, and it may be a laser beam and it may be a rainbow of fruit flavors in your life, but various kinds, any kinds of, of trials. I think about um, last week, if you were here, we had an amazing baptism service. And I mean, I, is there any more joy and excitement in the life of the church than to celebrate what we were able to celebrate together last week? Um, but we, I think about their stories We saw, last week we saw Patrick and Holly's story. The week before we saw April's story. There's a common theme in all of the stories. that common theme is trials. And I just wrote down a few things that I got from their videos that we saw that they've had to go through. Death, sickness, divorce, addiction, job loss, undiagnosed health problems. My own story has its fair share of trials. My parents divorced when I was young. I, uh, my, my dad passed away when I was still in my 20s. I I've dealt with addiction in my own life. I've been laid off. I've been terminated without cause. And I think sometimes when we think if this is all that we have, right? We live in this, what's called a secular society where you gotta get everything here and now because this is all that we have. And I think sometimes, I mean, go back to this, the idea of when I was wrongfully terminated. Everybody said, you need to sue these people because that's what, that's what we say when, if we lose something and all we have is the here and now and all we have is our happiness now, then we, we want that restitution. But I, I believed at that time. It's not some super spiritual thing. I just believed God was doing something bigger and that this was, a, this was a God thing and something he wanted for my life that was a trial and that it wasn't about me having to go um, and, and sue my employer. James is telling us here that we don't have to fall into the trap. And I'm sure we've all asked this. I've asked this before. Why is this happening to me? Why did this happen to me? We don't have to be victims. We don't have to be victims. When we flip the script and we praise and thank God, that's why I loved that song that we sang. Our weapon is a melody, right? Worship. How powerful is worship in the middle of something you're going through to be able to raise your hands to God and just praise him becomes a weapon in our fight. But in the midst of trials, what James is telling us here, that you can actually find joy. So trials are inevitable. Secondly, there is purpose in the pain. There is purpose in the pain. Let's go back to the verses here. Um, going back to verse two again. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Again, the the words here are important. He says in verse three, he says, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know, because you know. He's speaking to people that he thinks shouldn't be surprised by about what he's about to say next, that they already know this. It's not a surprise to them. And he's saying that as God writes the story of our lives, he's using trials for some greater purpose he says you know that the testing of your faith we're not just victims of circumstance but James tells us that these trials are tests which is an interesting word that he uses when we think of tests we think of pass fail right all the students in the room just kind of I don't like that word test um, but that's not the kind of test that he's talking about. The word is actually a metaphor here, and the best way to describe it is is the word refinement. Refinement. You ever fall into the um, vortex of YouTube videos? And then hours later, wonder, how did I get to this video watching this of so whatever? Well, I, I remember a while back, I ended up watching how they basically take microchips and they heat them and they add a catalytic agent and they, they extract the gold from these microchips. And so from that, it turned into all of these other, like, how does gold get refined? But, you know, gold is taken out of the ground in, in an ore form and then it's heated at a high temperature. You add acid or a catalytic agent and those impurities begin to Um, rise to the surface, and those impurities are taken out. This process happens over and over and over again. But it's how we get gold. Nobody in the room today is probably wearing gold or jewelry. You're wearing gold that's been refined in fire with heat, with acid, because it's beautiful. And so this is what God is doing in our life with this idea of tests, this is what James is talking about. These trials that God's, God brings into our life is for the purpose of refinement. And meanwhile, this is a, we're asking God, God, get rid of, rid of the heat. Get rid of the acid. I don't like this experience. It's not fun. It's painful. And he sees the gold. He sees the gold in you and in me Today And that's why we go through the refinement. That's why we go through the test. It's important to note here that he's not, because I think sometimes we, talk, we say these verses and we talk about joy in trials. He's not saying that we should enjoy our trials. Anybody here this morning actually enjoy trials? Probably not. And he's not saying that you can't have joy without the trials or, or only when the trials are ov- over. You hear the person sometimes, I'm just having joy in the middle of the trial, and you know that they're just lying through their teeth, right? They're trying to hype themselves up to believe that they're having joy when it's obvious, even from their face and their body language, that it couldn't be further from the truth. He's saying that you can find joy in the struggle. Why? Because you know that these tests, you know that these, this refinement develops Perseverance. Perseverance. That's also an interesting word. And again, let's do a little word study here. Some of your translations may say steadfastness. The ESV says steadfastness. NIV says develops perseverance. If you have anybody here with King James Version, still got some of those around, the these and the thous. it says patience in King James Version. Um, One of the newer translations uses the word endurance. And so... What does this word mean? The, the, the Greek word is, a, is a, it's a word called hypomone. Hypomone. It's hyper. We know what the word hyper means, right? Extreme. And then mone means to stand. So the word literally translated is hyperstand. So God brings this refi- these refining tests into our lives so that we could hyperstand, stand under the weight of something. Again, going back to the verses, James 1, 4, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Saying that perseverance, endurance, steadfastness, hyperstanding must finish its work so that you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Let's face it, hyperstanding under the weight of something is not easy. In fact, we know oftentimes it gets harder. Depending on the trial that we're going through, we can easily get crushed under the, under the weight. And uh, it's at this point, sorry, my mouth gets dry and I have to do that. Uh, But it's always awkward when I do, so I apologize. try to find places that are, like, good to jump into the drink of water, but it never (laughs) seems to be. But it's at this point that I oftentimes see people jettison their faith. They become cynical about God, cynical about the church, cynical about the world. They find their identity in being a victim because that becomes comfortable, familiar. As dysfunctional as it is, it's, it's oftentimes all that we know and where we feel comfortable. So they stop going to church. They disconnect from city group. Where's so-and-so? I don't know. He was going through something. We reached out to him. He's not responding anymore. We stop loving our neighbor because the temptation is that trials force us to become inwardly focused on us and only us. But James is saying, if you don't hyperstand, if you don't persevere, then if we take the verses and sort of flip them, then you're not mature and complete, and you will be lacking something if you don't persevere. So you may be here today, and I know oftentimes in our church, we find people that have somewhere along the way hit the eject button on their relationship with God or on the church. And our prayer is that by God's grace, you find yourself back in the fold. That we, from the early days, when we talked about forming Ocean City Church. We wanted to be a church for the de-churched and the unchurched. People that maybe had never been to a church before, or people that somewhere along the way hit the eject button on church. So why we say we invite anyone and everyone into the unending ocean of grace that comes only through Jesus. Anyone and everyone. Hyperstanders or people that feel like they don't even have the strength to stand. We invite all of those. So first point was trials are inevitable. Second point, there's purpose in the pain. Third point um, is that our perspective matters. How we kind of view all of these things that are happening, our perspective and how we look at it matters. He doesn't just say, keeps closing on me. He doesn't just say, think happy thoughts or sing Kumbaya in the middle of your trials, right? Whereas my Dutch Irish cousin, Bobby McFerrin used to say, don't worry, be happy. <laughs> Anybody remember that? kind of old now. The young people are like, I don't, I don't know that guy. Don't worry about it. He's not saying to trivialize, trivialize the, the pain that suffering brings. I know even here today, there are people experiencing real pain because of trials, because of suffering in your life. It's real. But perspective, our perspective matters. We understand that suffering can bring things into our life that are not there things that we need to make us complete, like he talks about in James, then that perspective should help us to endure the suffering. And so I'm going to ask you to consider two things um, today. And I stole this next part from Tim Keller, so I have to give him credit for it. But Tim Keller talks about four things that suffering brings, that trials bring into our life, lives that he says without Trials without suffering, he says, I find it very hard that you would truly have these things in your life. He talks about four things. The four things are humility, freedom, compassion, and faith. So humility, freedom, compassion, and faith. Humility. It's the first one. When we look at the life of Paul, we see that God used him in an incredible way in the early church and that he gave him supernatural wisdom, supernatural insight into things that God was doing. He gave him incredible giftedness. Well, what does Paul go on to say? In, in, um it was in Second uh, Corinthians 12. He says that because of these surpassing great revelations, because God has done these things in my life, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, what, what, did, what did God do? I was given a thorn in the flesh. And that's he goes on to say, that's why for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And we don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. We believe it was uh, some kind of a, a medical thing or, or something physically with his body. But it was there for a reason. It was there for a reason because it would have been very easy for, for Paul. He says, because of these surpassing great revelations, because of what God has done in my life, it would be very easy for me to become conceited and puffed up about what God is do, what I'm able to do with God. But he gave him this thorn so that he would have humility. It was a gift. It was a gift in the form of a thorn. We don't think about that sometimes, right? When we give roses, we focus on the rose, not the thorns. Well, for Paul, it was a thorn. It was something that was difficult, but it was a gift from God to give him what he would not have had without that thorn. Freedom. I love this one. Suffering is God's way of taking something away. Taking something away, not only something, but something you think that you have to have. Something that you think that you have to have. If you didn't think you had to have it, then it wouldn't be suffering, right? God is refining, removing, taking things away that we think that we have to have. And the freedom comes when we survive, when we make it, when we see the other side. God is, saying, God is letting us know these things are not as important as I think that they are. That when they're gone, I can find life again. I can find love again. I can find joy again. I can find hope and I can focus on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. Freedom. We don't think we need those things as bad as we think we do. Compassion. When you've gone through something, you're a lot more likely to be compassionate on other people that have gone through it. And I've seen time and time again in the life of people in our church where God has brought them through something very difficult, very hard, only for then God to bring somebody in their life that's going through the exact same thing. And I think that's such a beautiful, sweet thing that God does with our trials and with our hardships is that we can then share and talk about the same forgiveness that God gave us, the same patience and endurance and long-suffering that God showed us through the midst of that trial. We then have more compassion on people. It's just like when you get frustrated with somebody, but then you find out something about their story, and you're like, ugh, now I kind of know why they're like that. And you have more compassion on them. Finally, faith. God is asking us, did you become a Christian for me to serve you or for you to serve me? And I think sometimes I'm a lot more interested in God serving my agenda than I am in understanding what it looks like for me to serve his. When we begin to see that he's in control that he's got our best interest at heart, and that he loves us, that it's his agenda, not ours. We've found faith. We found what real faith is. So consider what suffering can bring. And then, lastly, second consideration here consider the one who persevered. Consider the one who persevered, who hyperstood for you. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 It's a great passage of scripture and I think goes directly with what James is talking about here. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance, same word here, with perseverance, the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured he hyperstood the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who hyperstood, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him who hyperstood on our behalf so that we don't grow weary and lose heart. His suffering, his endurance, his hyperstanding is now our joy. You know, I was thinking about the people that we honor this weekend, right? It's Memorial Day and it's more than just hamburgers and hot dogs and beach and all of that. It's, it's a real holiday that's meant for us to take a, take a look at honoring those that gave the ultimate sacrifice. But if you think about what we celebrate today, we celebrate the lives of men and women that in the in the face of great opposition chose to hyperstand chose to endure so that we could be free it's why we're able to assemble without worrying about people coming in and taking us this morning it's it's why we have freedoms in this country because people hyperstood people endured on our behalf and it's why we honor those people and you think about jesus enduring the cross he hyperstood against all of hell all of hell not so that you and i could become better people this isn't about us becoming better people so that you and i could have a relationship with god that's why he hyperstood and he's the one that stands for us did it because he loves us. We have to be reminded about that, regardless of what we're facing this morning. And look, I'm not here to trivialize anybody's trial they're going through, very real things in the life of people in our church right now. But I think James is saying, consider it joy when you do it, because God is granting you something that you otherwise wouldn't have without it. And when I think about that, it helps me to understand why we go through things. I had to think about my own life this morning and all the things that I've been through and the things that I'm going through and the things that we will go through. Look, it's not gonna get any better tomorrow. But we look to the one that endured the cross, that hyper stood on our behalf. Let's stand. Father, we, we Thank you. Many of us here this morning have, at points along the journey, lost our way because of things that were hard that came into our lives. And God, I just thank you that we can look to a Savior that didn't turn his back in the face of trouble, didn't turn his back on people that spit on him, that killed him. But God, he died in our place. God, I just thank you this morning for enduring the cross. I pray that we would remember that this morning so that we here would not grow weary and lose heart, that we wouldn't jettison the things that have been so important to us along the way that helped us in our walk with you. But God, you would restore our hearts now that we would even sense your presence in the room this morning as you restore us, God. We just thank you that you love us that much, God, that you never give up, God, that you leave the 99 to go for the one. We just thank you for that.